Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello, welcome to the Doing Time Show. I'm Peter. Um, we'd like to thank all the um, the um, pledges that came in. We made our target. Yeah, we did indeed. Um, this is Marissa as well, and this is 3CR Community Radio, 8:55 a.m. on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And as Peter said, we made our target of $850, and um, thank you so much to everybody that have pledged and to everybody that have paid and people that haven't paid yet. Um, please, if, if you can, as soon as you can, um, and pay before the 28th of June and you'll get a tax deductible receipt. Oh, and, yeah, that's it. and so thank you very much. And it's approximately 4.01 and we've got quite a lot of things happening on the show today. First up, we're going to be speaking with Brett Collins from Justice Action. And Brett is going to be speaking to us about prisoner representation being ejected on the opening day of a four-day conference about prisoner health at the International Convention Centre, Sydney. Justice Health Chair Chris Pulick and CEO Gary Forrest personally ordered that the consumer representative be taken out as he hadn't paid $2,500 registration to attend. And this is actually at a health conference, so we'll be speaking to him about that. Security staff escorted the the representative out. The expulsion was recorded. And, yeah, just to emphasise, we will be speaking to Brett Collins about how the lived experience of prison is severely eroded or was severely eroded at the health conference. And then, um, as well, we're going to be speaking with Brett about his attendance or the attendance of Justice Action at a penal abolition conference in London. Well, which sounds Yeah, it sounds great, which happened in mid-June. In mid-June, yeah. London, UK hosted an international gathering of those working for social justice in place of criminal justice. Yeah. And then after that, Peter has prepared a podcast about the Move 9 member, Debbie Sims Africa, who was released from prison and she last is week. last week, and she's a political prisoner. She was released from prison after f- about 40 years, convicted in the 1978 killing of a Philadelphia police officer. The 62-year-old grandmother of nine was paroled on Saturday following letters of support from DA Larry Krasner's office and others. And I'm hoping that we can read out an article from the Philly Mag um, just before the podcast. Yeah, we would be able to, yeah. Yeah. We should. So, in the meantime... Uh, and you're back with 3CR on your 8... 5am on the dial. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's approximately 4.07, and we're speaking now with Brett Collins from Justice Action. Hello, Brett. Welcome to the program. Oh, sorry. Hey, Brett, you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yep. absolutely. We just had some de- technical difficulties there. Welcome to the program, Brett. Lovely to be with you. Now, I gave a very concise introduction, and I think let's start off with what happened about the prison representatives being ejected from the health conference, and I believe that Justice Action made a media release about this. Can you just talk about it? Well, that's right. Look, the, the, uh, this major conference was looking at uh, prison health. I think they use the term custodial health right. um, for 2018. It had a number of international speakers and a number of, like, there would have been probably about, oh, maybe three or four hundred uh, people at the, at the conference, all talking, um, at the, this is at the International Convention Centre um, in Sydney. And so it was a four-day conference, and, uh, and each of the participants was required to pay $2,500 to attend. So when we um, became first aware of it, we weren't first of all sent an we weren't sent an invitation, but we were, uh, became aware of it. Uh, just a moment, this is talking about uh, the health of our community, of uh, uh, people in prison and hospitals um, throughout Australia uh, uh, at this uh, um, international uh, four-day conference. And we thought, well, <clears throat> how could they possibly talk about prisons and not having prisoner representatives there? So we thought, well, we'd better make sure we were represented. And so um, and, uh, they crashed us. That is absolutely appalling, Brett. I can't tell you 
how shocked I am. <laughs> well, in fact, to be honest, to not be there would have been an embarrassment. There was uh, just uh, down the road from where we are, the International Convention Centre, and um, I thought if I put uh, my suit on and um, had I, an arrogant look on my face, I could sit in quite well with the health um, department's um, employees. So, you know, I went and um, they said, you're not here, sir. Why am I not marked out? I said, with an arrogant look on my face, and um, and so and stalked past them, took a seat right in the centre of the action, and then uh, when the, the keynote speaker Michael Kirby, Justice Michael Kirby, former of the formerly of the um, of the High Court of Australia, and he was speaking, uh, I got up from the body of the of the uh, conference and said, uh, uh, Judge, uh, uh, what um, what do you think uh, is the importance of having uh, those people who are uh, the subject of uh, uh, custodial health? actually present, talking about their own health, participating um, and, and invited to be in the conference. And he went, oh, and he stood up and said, well, he said, look, I think it's, uh, if, if you had a conference involving uh, HIV, um, he said, so you would always have people with HIV at the conference. He said, uh, look, it might be a little bit more difficult with people um, serving prison sentences, but I, I'm sure we could arrange some sort of uh, teleconference. He said, you know, that's totally appropriate. And then the organisers said, well, you know, we have got people um, who are, in, who are um, in video. We have people in the video. He said, no, no, I'm talking about interaction. So he gave full support to the idea of, um, of uh, prisoners actually being there. But, but, um, but after he'd finished talking and at the first break, um, in came the, uh, the security guard and said, um, <clears throat> oh, uh, can you leave those? And I said, no, and I'm sorry, I won't. Um, in fact, I had the video camera running and made a point of uh, of uh, uh, getting the attention of the head of um, the justice health and saying to them, you know, why why can prisoners not be here? How is it that uh, you can only talk about prisoners and not have have their representatives here asking questions and and driving research? It's not up to you people to decide um, how um, health is to, is uh, directed. And so they said, oh, you didn't register, Mr. Collins. And they knew perfectly well that um, that uh, who it was. And I said, "Is it a money issue only?" They said, "You didn't register." And, um, <laughs> and I made sure we recorded all that. And yeah, that was so. There were that was the end of that. But I just it highlighted um, really major problem, uh, which is that uh, the service providers, whether it's service providers and in other issues inside um, in business, even aftercare, uh, you know, a whole range of NGOs, uh, they uh, they take the money and. Uh, and so they don't supply the services. They're not listening to what prisoners require, and they're not making sure that they're actually being guided um, from, by prisoners. So I think that's a really big issue, and it's one which was highlighted by what happened. And now we are very happy to have recorded it, and it put up, went up on our YouTube, and some people can see it for themselves. So let's be clear here. Okay, let, let's be clear. So basically what you're saying, Brett, is that you attended this health conference that was meant to be about the lived experience of prison of prisoners, and yep. there was a guy in there who had been to prison, correct? Yep. Who had been to prison and had already been released, and because he didn't register and couldn't afford to pay the twenty five to two thousand five hundred dollars, he was actually ejected. He was he was actually escorted out, correct? And, and it was all recorded on, on um, a video camera, and so uh, that was that was really the thrust of it. And it was not even in question; the evidence is actually there. So uh, you know, to, to not have uh, have an invitation to representatives of prisoners, to to not have people actually in prison uh, by telling in teleconference, for example, um, to have a, a camera there uh, going back to a uh, number of jails. So it could have been um, you know, in, in the jails in Victoria or New South Wales or Queensland or. And it could have been anywhere. It could have been all of them, for that matter. And to engage them in understanding what are the issues and what they feel um, should be presented is essential. And that Absolutely. Yeah. And they wanted you to go too, did they? Uh, <laughs> well, no, they to south. That's what happened at the end of it. And, so, and then after some uh, significant discussion afterwards, uh, you know, it's like very much ongoing because it's highly a problem, a major problem, which is, you know, Health or its legal services or education services. All those services are being paid for by the taxpayer and they have to be responsible to people in prison. They can't, can't run off by themselves and do what they want. It's essential that they, that they are directed by people in prison and research, research is done because Absolutely. people in prison want that to be done. So that's a really key issue. So this is quite, quite brazen, isn't it? Give it I mean, the health department organised this, correct? 
that's right. Yeah, they, they, they saw, it was all run by the uh, by Kirkton. Oh, that's what by the by the health department exactly. And and so it was uh, it was really uh, intended to be only a service. It wasn't intended that um, as part of you know, punishing people. It's intended that that people, everybody. In fact, legally, it's required that um, people in prison have the same health support as the as if they were in the general community. Absolutely, and you, you know. It's it's interesting. It's it's so disrespectful, isn't it? That that there wasn't even people in there with the lived experience of prison. Absolutely. Look, it's a primary primary point, and it just shows you how uh, how the, the the contempt that people in prison are being how they're being dealt with, and even service providers who have an legal obligation, I feel they can get away with it. It's a, it, look, it's it's corruption. It's, it's clear corruption. It is. Um, yeah, and you know, it has to be it has to be handled, and and you know, we'll you know, we're doing our best to take it on. And I think you know something that is pervasive through the um, prison experience that people people think that they can get away with uh, taking the money from the the government and, and not uh, respecting the people inside. And of course, there was the guilty by association aspect when you, um, of course, were supporting this representative who'd been ejected, they wanted you to go to to silence you. Absolutely. Like, that's all part of it as well. Like, there's no question that you know, that this is endemic to the area, right? whether it's the legal system, whether it's the health system, whether it's the education system. Each of those areas are ones where they, uh, the lawyers, for example, don't properly treat people in prison with the respect they deserve. If they had money in their hand, it would be a different matter because government is paying money to the lawyers uh, there's disrespect involved in, in, in the people who are uh, receiving the services, and that's something we have to deal with. But to pay money, to pay that amount of money to, to attend a conference yeah. like that, that's just ludicrous. Oh, look, it's obscene. Two and a half thousand dollars is ridiculous. Oh. And I, of course, it excludes a whole range of people there. So that's really one of the primary uh, reasons for the high cost. But, but everyone who's at the conference, in fact, they were all members of, of um, government departments. So they're being paid for by other government departments. And so if you're um, part of Victorian Collective Services or Victorian um, yeah, Health yeah. Services, then your department pays for you to attend and they arrange accommodation and uh, you attend and, and that's all part of cost. And half it's it's gentrification, really, isn't it? Oh, it is. And talking to each other and, so, and, and, so, and also researchers working um, uh, to get their papers up there to publicise all the good things about the department and, and, um, and not having critical material presented at all. You know, it's interesting. I, I was reading the media release last week and I rang you up. Remember I said, what's this? What's this? You know? <laughs> and just to, to, to give a final quote to the media release before we move on briefly to the um, penal abolition conference that you attended in London. So you say the callous disrespect exposed in Lismore Hospital to dying Marie Merton will continue throughout custodial areas unless the consumer voice is supported and central. And you say we call upon the ministers involved to start the process of change with an open discussion. Right, and that's from we've actually that's right. We passed the minorities into the health department and into the into the um, upper levels of bureaucracy deliberately to make sure they understood that this was going out publicly as well. Um, so uh, you know, there's no question that they're on the defensive about what they Absolutely. allowed to happen. Yeah. So that's that's you know this is very significant. I'm hoping that justice action and and indeed other. Um, Prison groups, prisoner support groups can do some more work around this area and we'll keep, Absolutely. we'll keep you updated listeners about that. So moving on quickly to the, um, penal abolition conference in London, can you tell us a little bit about that and uh, what yes, happened? Sure. Look, yeah, well look, the, um, conference is called the, it's called the International Conference on Penal Abolition. So it's about the actual, more than just abolishing prisons, it's abolishing the idea of, um, uh, of, Punishment of isolating people from their community of uh, of uh, you know, that sort of whole level of destruction. So uh, this really um, is the uh, was the 18th conference that was in London. Uh, Justice Action uh, was actually hosted the conference uh, back in 2006. We took it down to Tasmania, and we, we, um, it was a three-day conference down there. So we were sort of seen as being, like I suppose, elders in, in, you know, in the area. And most of the, the people who went to London uh, met or had some engagement with them. So people from uh, 
the African-American uh, groups out of the U.S. and in Canada, a number of the lifers uh, groups um, through there, they're very strong. And, of course, because it was in London, the U.K. Uh, movement itself was very strong. And there would have been uh, probably about 400 uh, people there, a lot of a lot of uh, activists, um, particularly from, from around the U.K., but also academics from, as I say, all around the world and ex-prisoners. Um, so they all came in together for a, a whole... You know, range of groups, and and so and so we had a uh, had a chance to uh, link up to them, to talk to other people, and um, and so uh, and hear uh, hear their presentations. And it was really useful. There were a lot of really good ideas there, and you know, it was quite exciting material actually. Fantastic, and I believe that there was uh, there was uh, amongst the all the workshop presentations and film screenings. You also had a, a symposium for academic papers focused on what can academics do to support movement organising. Absolutely, no, no. But um, like the academics were actually really strong. They were strong and they presented really good material. There's a there's a fellow, um, a guy called Michael, Michael Quill, coming out of the uh, University of um, San Francisco, I think it was, uh, California. And so, um, and so he he presented just such a compelling argument about you know, how uh, rather than utopian to think in terms of uh, people are no longer um, being put in prison, that in fact um, it's, it's outrageous that uh, that they do put the people in prison who they whom they do put in there. He said so. He made the point that there's so much crime generally in the community that few people who are arrested and put aside are, are being treated really outrageously. That uh, they, they, you know, there's so many people who are disadvantaged. Who put inside prison, and uh, and all these other people are getting away with a whole range of different crimes. And it just just the way he presented was just so so compelling. That's fantastic. Um, made, yeah. So you know, and when you realise, and what what's really happening is that uh, there are like billions of dollars being spent on in, imprisonment, and and we've got uh, forty five thousand people at the moment around Australia sitting in jails and costing uh, you know about a hundred thousand dollars a person. So it's a major industry, and then people who are in prison have sort of have been there for for you know some of them for many years, and then they sort of almost accepting their role as being uh, sitting in prison instead of being with their families. So it's a whole big industry and, and uh, where people are almost you know, uh, uh, stereotyped as being you know, too dangerous to be in the community, whereas uh, of course they normally are, um, except they can you know, be put away for a period. So just it was just good to be able to stand back and look at the whole question of you know, why are we imprisoning people, how could they justify it and and, uh, yeah. and, um, and how could the money be spent elsewhere. You know? the, the community, instead of sapping um, uh, all the uh, money that could be used in education or housing, public housing, uh, you know, <laughs> instead they have this part of public housing, which is a prison. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, just the whole argument. So it was, it was really, it was really excellently put together and and um, and very useful. And so, uh, and we even at the end of the uh, of the conference, um, there was a statement read on behalf of um, Australian prisoners, which was actually quite a compelling argument about um, involvement. Um, and uh, that was that was a, a good thing to have have that statement um, end the conference. Absolutely, and in fact, I'm just looking at it. It sounds really interesting. I'd love to go next time. You know, it's got like a, a whole lot of streams of resisting, questioning, and in fact, last week you might want to hear the, the have a listen to the podcast for the Do and Time show. We had um, Mark Johnson coming in um, from London, MBE, to talk about um, the tra- offending. You know, the the offenders forming peer support programs. And so we had him oh, in last week and talking about Claire Sepping's research around the Churchill Fellowship. Yeah. yeah. Exactly the sort of thing that's needed. That's excellent. That's, that's, um, I'm so, so uh, pleased to hear that. We should, we should get one happening here, Brett, like a Penal Connolly yeah. um, yeah, conference. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be really very valuable, actually, Peter. Very good. Yeah, have some indi- Indigenous um, elders and stuff. That'd be cool. Awesome. It's approximately 4.23 and you're listening to the Doin' Time show and we've just spoken with Brett Collins um, speaking about, from Justice Action, speaking about a number of topics, um, namely looking at the ejection of um, a representative from who's been in prison from a conference, a health conference, no less, and then talking about the Penal Abolition Conference. Brett, do you have any final comments before we finish? Well, well, look, <laughs> you know, coming back from from the, the uh, from London, 
uh, from Winkler last week, only five days ago. Uh, you know, I'm just I feel so enthusiastic about getting back into the to work there. There's so many there's so many things we have to do. So much, um, there's so many good people also to link up from around the world. And so, so just sharing that material is valuable. We we'll put it up on our website and and um, and hope to excite other people as well. So we definitely shouldn't feel negative about what's happening at the moment. It was a, definitely a positive yeah. uh, uh, message that came came back. Um, and so you know we're getting into um, a challenging a number of different areas. But the, but the work we're doing around computers and cells is a winner. And people people have said, oh, that's exciting. Oh, we have a, a right to communication from inside ourselves. Yeah. We can actually then email people. And that when, when we were able to get that message out and explain how we did a few out, there were many people who said, oh, can I have more? Can you tell me where that information is? I need to follow that through. So that was really exciting. It mean, means that um, you know, some of those, uh, that uh, transfer of information of um, linking up, uh, at these conferences really pays off, and that was, that was exciting. And, and so I came, I came back with a, a, a new uh, spirit, new excitement to get ahead of the work. Brett, that's fantastic. Thanks so much. Thanks, and um, we'll, you remember, we'll have you back soon. Take good care. Good on you. Thank you. you. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. And that was Brett Collins from Justice Action, as I said, speaking about a range of topics. Um, in regards to a lot of the work that Justice Action has done and in particular um, attending a penal abolition conference in London. And pretty soon, um, I believe Peter has a song prepared um, by Outright and then we'll go on to speaking about the Move 9 political prisoner that um, has been recently released. Um, uh, Debbie... Debbie? Sims Africa. Debbie Sims Africa. Help FreeCR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our song run, and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care, and also others were... The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. And you're back with the Doing Time show. It's approximately 4.30 and we'll be playing a podcast in regards to Debbie Africa Sims, who was released. Debbie Sim Africa. Sorry, Dem Sims Africa, who was released from prison after 40 years. I've got to get to know my political prisoners a bit better. I'm a bit rusty. We better start doing a political prisoner show, Peter, at some stage. But yeah, convicted in the 1970. This is actually from Philly Mag. Convicted in the 1978 killing of a Philadelphia police officer, the the 62-year-old grandmother of nine was paroled on Saturday following letters of support from DA Larry Krasner's office and others. This is huge. Black liberationist speaks out after her 40 years in prison. Exclusive. Debbie Sims Africa, the first freed member of a radical Philadelphia group many say were unjustly in prison, talks about reuniting with her son and defends the MOVE members still locked up. We are peaceful people, she says. Debbie Sims Africa was 22 when she was sentenced. Her release is seen as a major breakthrough for those imprisoned during the Black Liberation Movement. And there was a photograph in that article courtesy of Michael Davis, Africa JR. The first member of a group of black radicals known as the Move Nine who have been incarcerated, they insist unjustly, for almost 40 years, the killing of Philadelphia police officer has been released from prison. Debbie Sims Africa, 61, walked free from Cambridge Springs Prison in Pennsylvania on Saturday, having been granted parole. She was 22 when, with her co-defendants, she was arrested and sentenced to 30 to 100 years for the shooting death of Officer James Ramp during a police siege of the group's communal home on 8th August 1978. She emerged from the correctional institution to be reunited with her son, Michael Davis Africa JR, to whom she gave birth in a prison cell in September 1978, a month after her arrest. Angela Davis, this is a quote from her, 
There is an unbroken line of police violence in the US that takes us all the way back to the days of slavery. This is huge for us personally, Sims Africa told The Guardian, speaking from her son's home in a small town on the outskirts of Philadelphia where she will now live. Davis Africa 39, who was separated from his mother at less than a week old and has never spent time with her outside prison, said they were coming to terms with being reunited after almost four decades. Today I had breakfast with my mother for the first time, he said. There's so much we haven't done together. The release of Demi Sims Africa is a major breakthrough regarding the ongoing incarceration of large numbers of individuals involved in the black liberation movement of the late 1960s and 1970s who are now growing old behind bars. At least 25 men and women belonging to MOVE or the former Black Panther Party remain locked up in some cases almost half a century after their arrests. And I thought I'd just give you a little bit of an edited version there, um, little bits and pieces both from the Philly Mag and the Guardian in America. And, you know, Doing Time show does, we do talk a lot about our own backyard in Australia, but there are times where we do go international and we do talk about other political prisoners um, all over the world. And this is one of those times because the Move 9 are very, very important people. Um, there's, as, as I said, they're still locked up. And some died in prison. Some have died in prison. And Peter has actually prepared a short podcast about this. It's approximately 4.34. Um, we may or may not have time to say goodbye. Yeah, we will. We, and if we don't, um, stick around for the Black Fellow, White Fellow song of the Rumpy Band um, after this podcast. Okay, um, we'll just chuck it on. Yep. This is a Flashpoint Podcast Extra. Debbie Sims Africa is a member of the Move 9. She was released over this past weekend after nearly 40 years behind bars. For her part in the 1978 shooting death of a Philadelphia police officer. If you've never heard of the Move organization, they were considered to be a back-to-nature group. Some called them radical at the time they had been founded in the early 1970s, and they believed in black liberation, nature. They lived in a hunter-gatherers-type society and rejected man-made laws, science, and technology. The incident that landed nine members of the group behind bars for third-degree murder, each giving a 30 to 100 years in prison sentence, all of that took place on August 8, 1978. Debbie Africa is the first member of the Move 9 to go free. Two members of the group died inside of prison. Six remain behind bars. Here's my phone interview with Debbie Africa, followed by my interview with her son, Michael Africa Jr. Now, I should mention that Debbie was eight months pregnant and had her son while incarcerated. When she was freed on Saturday, that was the first time she saw her son, Michael, as a free woman. Listen in. What was it like walking out of prison on Saturday knowing that you were officially going to be a free woman? It was uh, it was it was really unspeakable. It was kind of unbelievable in a way because it had been almost 40 years and I just could, you know, imagine, you know, even taking that step if you want to know if you know what I mean. Not that it would never happen, but it was just so foreign. It was both bitter and sweet and um happy and really sad because I did expect my sisters Janine and Janet to come with me too, you know, and it just didn't happen. So as I walked out the door and I saw Mike and I saw, you know, my daughter-in-law and my family and my, you know, my children and, you know, it was just really overwhelming for me. And it was just, you know, it was a happy feeling, but like I said, it was also, I was hurt also because, um, you know, Janine and Janet were not with me and, um, and I really didn't understand why, but I had already molded that around in my head beforehand, so I knew they weren't weren't coming, but to actually feel the realization that they weren't coming and to feel you know you know like we like I had just left them you know was um you know that wasn't a good feeling, especially yeah. since you know we all you know I just expected it because we all had the same case going in, we all had the same charges, we all had the same parole. Um, stipulations up until this last time and um, 
so I just didn't, you know, I wasn't really totally, I wasn't completely, totally satisfied with that. And why do you, you think know, it but, was different for you than them? Do you have any ideas? I really have no idea. I can't even give you an opinion about that because it was just shocking to me. And, um, you know, even now I still think about it and I'm thinking, you know, it, it hits me all of a sudden. You know, I feel happy, you know, one minute, especially when I'm with my family. Um, and then it just hits me that they're not here. Yeah. And so it's hard, but I don't know why. You you, know, I don't know what it was. Now, you were eight months pregnant at the time you were incarcerated and had your son, Michael, while you were in prison. Um, I mean, are you happy? I mean, this is the first time he's seeing you as a free woman and you seeing your son as a free woman. What has it been like reconnecting with your son after he's he's almost 40? He'll be 40 this year. I know. It, it's it's both amazing and unbelievable, and it's but it's also um you know, it's um, unfamiliar, you know, and it's like, it's funny because, you know, when I look at him, sometimes I just, I see things that I've just, uh, I've never saw before. And uh, we we were talking about it yesterday to somebody else here. And, um, you know, he was just saying that, you know, it's the first time he had seen my feet. <laughs> and while it may seem, you know, like a funny conversation, you know, it's things that we both connect with each other that are just totally foreign to other people. And it was just, you know, I mean, it was, you know, I mean, it's very emotional, very, very emotional. You know, sometimes I just, it really hasn't hit me totally yet, but sometimes I just, you know, I look at him and think, and I just hug him and I say, you know, is this real? You know, um, I can't believe that it's finally, we're finally here. And my daughter also, even though he was born in prison and I had never been with him, my, my daughter was only two when they, you know, when she was taken from me at the time of the arrest. Also, and I look at her sometimes, you know, when we're out sitting on a porch or something, I just hug her because I'm like, I can't believe this is here. You know, we're here. Yeah. And and, and, to be, um, and that's like a major family separation. And Michael mentioned that, you know, you aren't the only person who has children and has been away from your children for so long. And so how do you feel? I mean, there are six members of this group that was named and labeled the Move 9, still incarcerated. What are I mean, now that you're free? Um, you know, what, what do you want the world to know about the other six? When we were arrested, when we were arraigned, we were arrested at one time. We were arraigned at one time as a group. We were found guilty as a group. We were given the same charges as a group. We were given the same um, stipulations as far as um, being denied parole as a group because everything was the same. Like I said, the same charges, the same Everything, the same sentence, every last one of us were sentenced to 30 to 100 years. But I am, I am the only one out. And how, how, how is that, how do we, how do they explain that? And I want the world to know that there is no different. We are all the same as far as, you know, being, um, being move members and that it shouldn't be no different. They should all be out just like me. We should all be out here with our families, you know, Eddie included, who has a, a family of four children, who has grandchildren, you know, the same as me. Yeah. You know, the same. as And Mike, my husband, you know, he's, you know, the same thing. Janine, Janet, Jan, Jan, Janine has a son out here. You know, Janet and Janine's children were, you know, and uh, Delbert's children were killed May 13th. You know, so there's just no reason for them to still be in and me be out. If I'm out, then they should be out, too. You're going to make your first public appearance. Press will be there. Anything you concerned about? I mean, you haven't been, you know, seen in this public way in many, many years. What's going through your mind as you prepare for tomorrow? What's going through my mind? I really haven't had a chance to really prepare in the sense of preparing because I've been just so busy, you know, just, you know, getting things together and just getting clothes because I have nothing, you know, nothing. But um, in thinking about it now and preparing, I think I, I just feel like the, the strongest thing that I can, is, you know, try to convey to people is that, you know, justice is justice. And if justice applies to one, then it, then it should apply all the way across the board, especially when you have the same thing. Anytime you have the same thing, you know, then the result should be the same. Yeah. You know, it's no different than, you know, than it's like a law of life, really. 
I mean, if two people stand in the rain, one gets wet, the other one's going to get wet. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so the same thing should apply here. And the fact that whole situation happened because it's surrounded by a civil case. We didn't kill anybody. We hadn't killed anybody. We hadn't murdered anybody or raped anybody or, you know, um, involved in human trafficking or drugs or anything like that. This whole situation, August 8th, came about because of a civil code violation, a housing code violation, and the judge put out bench warrants for our arrest because they wanted to, us to come to court to show cause as to why we didn't come to court on August the 5th. You know, and so all that happened because of that. You know, and it's just something that I think a question that has not been asked, that has not been asked. But definitely moving moving forward and, you know, step by step, you know, definitely, you know, our, my family, our family, our move family should definitely be out here. And, you know, there's no reason that I can think of. There's no reason why. Yeah, they, they're not. So you're staying with family. I, t- I take it you've been eating nicely, much better. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> what was your first your first meal? Well, when I got here, my family had everything was, you know, they had a big, 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 big garden grown salad on the table, you know, vegetables, kale and spinach and onions and chard. And um, they had like cabbage and, you know, cabbage. and um, It was just all kinds of food, watermelon slices and nectarines and just all kinds of really, really good food everywhere. And it was just a really happy, really happy time. It was about 50 people here. <laughs> wow. And it was just really, really, it was awesome. I mean, I mean it was really awesome. It just, it was, I was just so thankful, you know, for the support and, you know, for my family and my son who worked his behind off like every, you know, like everybody else who worked before the move nine. I mean, just without let up since he's been able to fight and work and um yeah i, mean, I just want to say i'm so proud of him i've never seen folks still protesting strong for this many years ever okay i know i've uh-huh. never seen anything like it <laughs> but every time i turned around it was another one and they had the signs and they rolled out the you know they rolled out the the, the tarps and everything i was like no joke bullhorns uh-huh. you got a hey. tough crew there miss debbie you got a tough yeah. crew Okay. Well, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. And, you know, um, hey, that's what MOVE is all about. MOVE is about consistency, persistency, until we get what, until we get what's right. You know, not nothing wrong. Until we get what's right, until we get justice, until we get, you know, the satisfaction knowing that we are going to be, you know, treated fairly at yeah. some point, you know. And, say, and that's what it takes. That's what it takes. Hey, listen, our forefathers didn't lay down. Our, forefathers, our forefathers, our people. They didn't lay down, lay down, you know, they had to fight. I mean, Harriet Tubman and, you know, all those yeah. people that went through that underground tunnel and freed the slaves. I mean, from all the way back then, they had to fight. They had to work hard and they had to do things in order to get around that. And, you know, it, it is what it, it took all that, you know. But now people are commending that kind of fight. They're commending her. They're commending her for being able to standing up for freedom for the slaves. They're commending her for that. Yeah. They're commending the, um, you know, the Jewish, Jewish, Jewish people for fighting against Germany like they did. I mean, they did the same thing. They had to change their names. They had to go through hoops. They had to do all kinds of stuff in order to protect themselves the best way they could against, you know, that kind of injustice. So yeah. this is just, it's a modern day thing. And it's just, it's just no different, you know, it's no yeah. different because, yeah. you know, that's his history. And I, and I, itself. and I have to ask you this question out of fairness. Do you have anything? I mean, I know. Officer Ramp uh, did pass away uh, right. in an incident. Any any words to his any of his family members? They may still be here. Or any words at all on, on that? You know, we don't want. I don't personally want to see any form, form of life killed or maimed or harmed or in any kind of way. You know, I am very sorry for his family. You know, I I can only imagine what they've gone without their father or you know who you know whoever they are to him. Because I know what I've gone through, you know, being separated from my own children for all this long, for almost a lifetime. So I can't imagine the hurt and the pain that they've suffered over the years. And, you know, I am sorry for that. Um, you know, like I said, I could only only imagine because I know how I feel, you know, feeling, you know, sort of yeah. like that myself, 
you know. Yeah. And, you know, after May 13th, all that. I, so, you know, it's just, it's just, it was just a terrible situation. Yeah. And um, I never want that kind of situation to happen ever again. And on that note, Miss Debbie, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with me. I look forward to meeting you tomorrow. Your mother was released on Saturday. It's just your reaction to this this major occurrence. Overwhelmingly happy. Over at the same time, it's, it's bittersweet. You know, there's still moved nine members that that you know with the same charges and, and all that that needs to be out. My mom, my dad, too. You know, he, he was her, one of her co-defendants, and he's still in prison, and he was not granted parole. Bittersweet. You know, we're still waiting for that day too. And so you have both of your parents. You, this is the first time you've seen your mother as a free woman. What what was that like, you know, seeing her on Saturday? Uh, it was overwhelming. It was surprising. It was it was it was a shock. It's belief. I mean, it was all kind of stuff. Happiness. There was all kind of emotions in there. You know, I saw we're doing a lot of things that that we've never done before. That we, you know, like I'm learning things that babies learn about their mothers right now. You know, like what her feet looks like and. You know, you know how she sleeps, and you know we've never had breakfast together. Like so, all of these things are just like coming up and happening, and like you don't even realize that you don't know these things, or that you didn't experience these things until you do experience them. Then, then, then you realize once you see it, it's like uh, you know that you've never done it. It reminds you um, to see her walk around the house. Is and you know sometimes I forget if she's in another room. And then she comes into the room I'm in, and I see her come into the room. It's like butterflies all over again. Like it actually is real. You know, it's yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. And so you were raised by other folks because both your parents were um, in prison. How did you keep your spirits up all this time? You know, and and to this to this day, now that now the fight continues. I kept my spirit up because work had to be done. And things had to be done. You know, you, you don't give up just because things are tough. If things have to be done, if work has to be done, it's not going to get done by you giving up. So, you know, that, that kind of information and that kind of understanding, I mean, it was tough at times, but I mean, I never, I never really gave up. Um, so, hey, you just do what you got to do. Yeah. And grin so, and bear it. yeah, grin, it, grit and grin and bear it. And so, Tomorrow, which is Tuesday, there will be a press conference where your mother will make her first public appearance. Press will be there. Um, what, is, what is the message that you would like to get out to the public? Uh, the message that I want to get out to the public is that I'm not the only child who is without a parent because of uh, the unjust incarceration of the Move 9. You know, there's other people, Eddie... Africa has children, um, you know, and and Janine and Janet, the two women that were denied, who were my mom's um, co-defend part of, you know, they were co-defendants and uh, roommates for the last 40 years. Um, they were denied parole. They had children too, but their children were amongst the five children that were dead, that were murdered on May 13th, 1985. And so they were denied parole, and it's just tragedy. So people need to realize that all these people and all the joy that we feel, my mom and myself and, and my family, um, there are a lot of people that's, that that are still waiting for that day for them to enjoy that same feeling of amazement. And you're with um, Frisia. 855 AM. And with the Doing Time Show. And yeah, thanks, Peter, for um, preparing that podcast. It really was a most enlightening interview. And, you know, over the last couple of years, we have had um, a few political prisoners being released from America, but not enough. A couple of Black Panthers. And, you know, the Doing Time Show has done some extensive coverage on the Move Nine. In fact, we did interview, I believe. one of the sisters Mm. some years ago now. Um, So it's really, I found it really moving and really heartening to hear that interview. And there's there's just not enough exposure 
in particular for female political prisoners. So yeah, it was true. really good that this was, was able to happen. So thank you to Pete for, for preparing that podcast, and I'm hoping that we can get some more coverage. As I said, um, you know, we do concentrate a lot on Australian coverage, but there are times when it, where it is important to go international because really we are in a global price, crisis. We're in a global crisis, um, not only with our prisons but with our detention centres, and it's always good to link up those issues all over the world. It's approximately 4.53, and we've got a couple more minutes, and I just wanted to thank also Brett Collins for coming onto the show and from Justice Action. And just to remind listeners also about an event coming up um, on the 27th of June in Geelong and at the Waterfront Campus there, Deakin University. If people want to get more details about that, um, access our podcast from last Monday, um, looking at Mark Johnson, um, who is um, from London, and he actually has begun a program called User Voice, which looks at um, offenders providing providing um, peer support for other offenders. So, yeah, so get up to Geelong if you can, or if you live in Geelong. Um, it's It's important to do that. Mm. Um, also, just very quickly, because I know we've got a couple more minutes, haven't we, Peter? Yeah. Is um, just in regards, I'm, I'm not going to say too much about it um, because I don't have a lot of material in front of me, but it is really important to mention that there's um, a camp and a protest happening about um, the birthing trees that the Vic Roads wants to take out. They're birthing trees for Aboriginal women, um, and we need to talk about that and about that land sometime soon. It's about two hours. It's up near Ararat, and the birthing trees, they want to cut them down. Vic Rose wants to cut them down to do a northern um, a, a route for the highway. And, yeah, like while it's important for drivers to be safe, as Lydia Thorpe points out, Lydia Thorpe from the Greens, um, who's an... Um, an Aboriginal woman, she points out that that we need to rely on experts to be able to look at an alter- alternative route for um, for the Western Highway and to really have a look at that because there are other alternative routes um, for you know that's that's more environmentally sound than what's happening now and it really has serious implications um, for for not just for the environment but also um, it contravenes the Heritage Act. And I wanted to talk about that because, you know, Aboriginal women have been so demonised and so excluded, not only from policy, but also historically as well since since 1788. And it's really important that, you know, that, that this is talked about on the show because on this show we don't just talk about prisons, we also talk about the violations of human rights and also the oppression and genocide of Aboriginal people. And I feel so strongly about it that I wanted to actually mention it on the show and to have people contact the Environment Minister and uh, and, and do an online um, request um, to, to make sure that those trees are not cut down. They're used for cooking and shelter. They were used to give birth with its, its historical and, and heritage significance and, and there are other ways to organise that highway and there are experts to look at that. It's approximately 4.56 and we've got a minute before we actually um, are out of here. Um, thank you for listening and um, we enjoyed your company and come and listen every Monday for the Do and Time show from 4 to 5 PM, and we're going to be going out with our theme song pretty soon, "Black Fella, White Fella," by the Rumpy Band. And coming up um, very soon is Beyond Zero. Stay tuned. Okay, see you all. Bye. Take care.